actually started the business at the final year of university and then basically straight after decided to, you know, I thought I was Elon Musk and I could run multiple businesses at the same time. <laughs> Lesson learned, definitely not. <laughs> I did really have quite a chip on my shoulder. I'm not doing something that's cool enough. It really drove me to go, well, what else can I do here that's gonna be more significant, bring more status? And so I was like, oh, I'll do a tech startup, you know, like yeah, okay. that's the way to go about it. That was both like a blessing and a curse, that whole experience. What I had done well, at least, is I'd put a team in place at Art of Smart that became really fantastic custodians of it while I was distracted chasing things that at the time were going to some emotional need that I hadn't yet recognised. Welcome to Getting to the Heart of Business, brought to you by The Online Co, where we believe the best way to help small and medium businesses grow is by putting people first. I'm James Parnwell, and in this episode, you'll meet a guy who's helping a generation of young people figure out their life's direction. His name is Rowan Kunz, and he's the director at student coaching and mentoring business, Art of Smart. My co-host and marketing pro with me today is Jess Caluso. G'day, Jess. Hey, James. HSC is a really uh, difficult time for young people. Yes, it is. Do you have any memories of that stage? My most vivid memory of my HSC is just writing copious amounts of notes. I was one of those people that had to write things down in order to remember it. So you'd learn best that way. Yes, I would. So I just notes after notes after notes. I just feel like I was drowning in paper. And I remember specifically, (laughs) actually, I burnt all of my HSC notes after I finished. See you later. A ritual burning. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I studied very hard, uh, too hard. And, and Rowan talks about people who were able to maintain their kind of extracurricular activities mm. as well as perform well in their HSC. And I maintained some of mine, but I would just work from dawn till dusk, just just studying. Yeah, yeah. just hardcore, which was good in a way. Got me better marks, but was uh, I, I needed some time afterward to to rest. I think. Yeah, I feel like I could have done with Rowan's help when I was doing my HSC because I was a um, I was quite a high achieving sports person in my high school years and went to a sports high school. So I definitely had to learn how to balance the extracurricular activities and the HSC studying. Yeah, for sure. Well, as you're about to hear in our interview, Rowan doesn't just help kids with their study techniques and their math scores, although that's part of it. His aim is really to help provide a very holistic type of mentoring to help young people figure out what they're passionate about set some clear goals and achieve them, partly through good study techniques, but also by building a life that's more happy, healthy, organised and well-rounded. What I found fascinating about Rowan is how young he was when he started out as an entrepreneur. He was in his early 20s and hadn't even finished uni. Rowan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, James. So you started business at a very young age. I wanted to say straight out of uni, but you were kind of innovating at uni. Mm. So what was it you were studying? So I was doing a combined law degree. So I was doing an arts degree majoring in history and law and cool. realised pretty quickly on that I uh, didn't want to become a lawyer. Pretty much by second year, I'd got in, had an exposure to it intellectually. Uh, you know, it's a fascinating subject. It teaches you to think. But I uh, realised that the day-to-day in terms of what work would look like was just not something that excited me. Um, so then I was in this position of, okay, I know what I don't want to do in my yeah, life. <laughs> which is useful in itself. It's a good step, yes. Yep. But what to do is a hard, much harder That's question. That's right, definitely <laughs> much harder question. So what, what sort of happened? Did something emerge? Mm. 
Yeah, I really fell into uh, working with some family friends. You know, I'd, when I was in high school myself, I'd had an elite sports background. I wanted to one day play professional football, um, round ball. Round ball, yep, yes. Get that right. Soccer, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so um, I'd sort of navigated this journey of one, uh, trying to you know, train and, and pursue sport while also trying to balance and have a plan B. And so I had, at that point, some family friends and word of mouth, people really reach out who were saying, hey, like, I'm in that similar position. Like, I'm, you know, in years 11 or 12 and I'm, I'm a tennis player or I'm a rugby union player or I'm wanting to pursue theatre and the performing arts and I want to do well at school just because I want to have that plan B, but how do I balance it all? And so I really just started falling into, you know, it was a sort of tutoring slash mentoring role, much more holistic, big picture with these young people and sort of really fell in love with it. You know, it was just yep. an incredible experience. So how did you balance it all? <laughs> Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> right, because it's, the common thing is, I'm just going to switch my life off for year right. 11 and 12. Yeah. Or I'm going to switch school off and <laughs> do whatever it is else it is I want to yeah, do. Like getting right. both of them together yeah. is a challenge. It is a challenge. And I think, look, one of the things uh, that definitely I think was really critical was understanding that quality was more important than quantity. And that really applied to both pursuits. Okay. Um, I think a lot of the time, um, and this is, you know, this is not just really about school, I think this is something that applies no, in, to life, life yeah. much more broadly. Um, I think an attitude can be, oh, well, you know, to do well at, at school, shall we say, I've got to just throw hours at this thing. And inevitably, you know, we just procrastinate a lot, we're staring at a wall, we're on YouTube, we're doing anything but the, the hard work that we probably should be. I think we've probably done that at work <laughs> from time to time as well. Right, um, yeah. And so it was a realisation of actually no quality matters. So even if I've only got 45 minutes uh, of time because I've got to go to training, like how do I make the best use of that 45 and then being much more intentional about what it was that I was actually doing rather than getting in and doing busy work. So, so it's potentially the 80-20 rule that 80% really? of the value is in 20% That's of the right. time. That's right. It's something we teach students actually right. as a framework to just get yeah. them to think more intentionally. So I'd say that was one. And then the second thing is we, we have a concept we call transition moments, which is that we often have all these transition moments in our lives, you know, where we're waiting for a bus or, uh, you know, we're waiting in a line or we've okay. got some time to kill. And yeah. often that's exactly what we do with it. We yeah. kill it, right? Flip through Instagram. Or, yeah. <laughs> Precisely, right? You pull out your phone or you just flop in front of a TV or whatever. And often those little transition moments can add up over a day. Um, and we tend to round them down in our minds. So even if it was half an hour, often we're like, oh, well, that's not enough time to do anything meaningful. Okay. Um, and it was also a realisation, well, if you've got multiple commitments, you need to take advantage of those small chunks of transition moment time because you can actually add them up to become something quite yeah. significant. So two simple things. I mean, there's a whole bunch more, but I would say, you know, those were two critical things. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's excellent. And um, probably applicable to business as well. I think so, yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. Speaking of which, uh, you've got people asking you the question, you know, how did you balance that and then mm. you started helping them yeah that's right really it was a, a process where they were like how did you do it and to be honest at, at the start I didn't have good answers for them necessarily either you know like I had some things that worked for me only so for some students I had really great success just because you know they maybe were at a similar wavelength or personality yeah, type to me yeah. and I'd share a strategy that apply and would have great results be awesome and then I'd work with another student and I'd you know pull out this sort of strategy from the toolkit and it would just flop because um, they're very different they're just wired differently precisely yeah. they were just wired differently and so sort of two things happened for me I guess one um, 
I saw the impact that I could have on a young person's life. That was really exciting for me. As another yeah. young person, I was able to see that I could have an impact. And there was one specific student who you were who didn't like economics. Yeah, that's Most right. Most people don't like economics. I have to confess, I quite like economics. Yeah, I'm a bit of a, an yeah. economics nerd. Yeah, and <laughs> there was this moment, definitely, where I was working with a student who had hated economics and had to take it to just meet some minimum subject requirements in yeah. terms of the number. And by the end of the year, you know, his attitude had transitioned so much so that he was he chose to study economics as his core degree at university. And so yeah, wow. that was really almost a, a, an, a no-crap moment for me yeah. <laughs> because it really showed just, wow, okay, like, I can have a significant impact here. That's super exciting. Also, quite a responsibility. I want to make sure I'm doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. And that was really the point where I was in my final year of my law degree and I was really looking at well, what am I going to do in a year. You know? And so I decided I'd go and interview to start with 100 past students that had done incredibly well academically while balancing life. Right. And the idea was really to identify what were the common patterns in how they grappled with the typical challenges, but also to see just a broader toolkit so it wasn't just what worked for me and I was just sharing this as some, you know, individual yes. that had magically worked something out. It was actually, yes. no, 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 here's some research that we've been able to do that identifies that there are a couple of different approaches you could take here to deal with this right. problem. Um, yeah, that was just a, a critical step, I think, in, in you know, one, um, getting greater confidence in how we were supporting students, but then also I think for myself and really solidifying it into something that was more than just a, a you know a hobby like at a, a uni job some people yeah. um make hamburgers you were teaching yeah that's right yeah <laughs> and, exactly and, and now i'm going to get a real job yeah precisely because no doubt there was a time that we had to have a conversation with your parents definitely yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how'd that go look um it's quite interesting because my, my parents come from very different backgrounds. So, you know, my father's from Switzerland. His family have run businesses for generations. He himself has run businesses. Um, that's not to say that my mother's family hasn't had some of that background. She's from Sri Lanka. Her focus has always been perhaps a little more traditional, though, in the sense of, you know, university and education and the importance of it. Yep. So I know she was probably a little more concerned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, both were incredibly supportive, really, from a position of what's going to make you happy, what's going to make a difference in the world but certainly I could definitely feel a little bit more of the, the anxiety coming <laughs> the, off my mum um, than my dad yeah all right so I, I often feel like um, businesses can either originate in your head or your heart or your hands it's mm. like the head is oh, I've got this great idea or your heart is something I'm passionate about and your hands is often I've oh, just this things here and I'm and I'm doing it it sounds like it probably landed in your hands and then it's transitioned to your heart and your head w would that be fair yeah definitely you know like I think very much when I started the journey I had no anticipation no I'd 10 be... year rollout plan no <laughs> there was none of that you know like I couldn't have foreseen the journey that it's taken no. me on I couldn't have foreseen you know where we are today but even I couldn't even foresee where it would have taken me 12 months at the time yeah you know like it was very much just a, a rolling with yeah, you know, the, the opportunity and also just leaning in and, you know, I think in hindsight, having the courage to not pursue the law degree. And that was quite challenging, right. honestly. Um, you know, yeah, there's a momentum in a direction, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And particularly, I think when you, you're going to university 
Um, and you know, there's an expectation and a momentum. I like to call it an inertia almost, inertia, right? Yeah. That you will then pursue that as a career afterwards. And when everyone else in your degree is applying for internships and clerkships and talking about all so the job offers, was the same. Yep. it's quite hard to resist. And so I quite intentionally because I knew that I didn't want to pursue a degree, made no effort to apply for any graduate job, <laughs> which was definitely the thing that I think concerned my parents a little bit. <laughs> like none. And it was, Rowan's going to be living at home forever. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely it. And it was a bit of a burn the boat strategy in my yeah, part. I no, knew that if I did apply for something, I'd probably take it just because of the social expectation and the fact that it's often quite attractive, you know, like you're yep. going into a graduate program and, you know, you're earning some money for the first time, you know, proper because, you know, you've had uni jobs along the way. And, and I knew that if I did that, um, I, I wouldn't come back to this, uh, you know, in terms of this passion and this problem that I was seeing. And so it really was a bit of burn yeah. the bridges, not apply. Okay. And I also realised that I, probably as a young person, still being able to live at home. Yeah. You know, like that's often the easiest time if you want to take a risk. So that definitely informed the thinking quite a lot. <laughs> so at some point you started hiring tutors? Yeah, so that began in the final year of, of university. Uh, so I did the research with, you know, high-performing students, wrote a book, um, and that was part of uh, sort of the product or the, the launch of the business. So the intent was to launch the book as, as part of the research and really part of the value proposition that we would then bring to the market. And that was an interesting experience. You know, obviously I'd, I'd never written a book before. I sort of did the research, pitched it to a bunch of publishers. They all said, no, they're like, who are you? You're this like 20, 21 year old kid. <laughs> what, you know, what expertise do you have? Um, and then, you know, some of them said, well, look, even if we did consider this, it's a three year timeline. And I'm pretty impatient. You know, I like to get things going. I'm like, three years? So, so their objection was more about you and your experience more than the content? Uh, was, look, there was an element where they felt that it needed to be broadened from you know, a, a, an audience that might have been East Coast to something more national. But that was a pretty surmountable challenge, you know, you know in the sense of you, you, yeah. you interview a couple more students across... In Perth, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, so you know, in a big part of it, it was a mixture of they wondered whether or not there would be... Uh, you know, a sufficient market, but a lot of it really, I think, came down to like, I was a nobody, you know, like yeah. I'm this, you know, 20, 21 year old kid who had written this thing. And, and so in the end, I went, you know what, I'm just going to take a bet on myself here. Worst case, I'll self-publish. I'm a published author. You know, I lose some money on this. Um, you know, I put on a credit card to, to sort of print it in Hong Kong. <laughs> Worst case, I lose some money. Yeah, okay, that's not great. $10,000 is a, you know, 21-year-old is a, a bit of money. But really, grand scheme of things, if I go and get a job and work for six months, I'll pay it off. But what I felt was that the reputational benefit it would provide would be significantly worth more than that in the long term. And so I ended up just self-publishing. Ordered almost 3,000 books because, you know, you got a better price. Yeah, it gets a bit cheaper. Yeah, the and I, print, I yep. didn't realise how many 3,000 books actually were. Um, <laughs> Is it a pallet? Yeah, it's a pallet and a half. <laughs> okay. Right? And um, I remember getting it delivered and uh, they dropped it off at my parents' place on the driveway. Yeah. A pallet and a half of books. Yeah. And my parents are looking at me <laughs> going, where are you going to store these? Yeah. We don't have the room. Um, and then I had the problem of, well, where, how was I going to sell it? Like, I actually hadn't even thought about that. Like, I literally just went, great. I had this vague idea of I'll write the book, I'll launch the business, 
we'll generate demand and then we'll start hiring people, right? Like that was the extent of the plan. But the critical <laughs> step in there is I hadn't thought about, well, how do I sell this yeah, thing? Yeah, marketing the book. Yeah, how do I, how do I actually market this thing? Um, quite fortunate I was able to find an education-specific distributor, was able to get the book into, you know, your Dimmicks and Angus Robertsons and, uh, you know, your Borders. I mean, a lot of these guys are no longer around. No, sadly, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, in the end, good good outcome, but didn't plan it very well, to be really honest. Um, and then definitely as part of doing that, it led to opportunities to go into schools to speak, opportunities to go into local libraries, and that helped just build the early sort of brand awareness and reputation so that we started generating increased inquiries. Okay. Um, and then we got to a tipping point where, you know, I just didn't have the time to be able to work with the students or the expertise, you know, in many respects. Okay, subjects um, that you weren't familiar that's with. That's right, yeah. yeah. And so it went, all right, this makes sense. Let's start bringing on a couple of other tutors. And, you know, I think by the end of that first year, we had about 13 okay. other tutors. Um, and then I graduated uni. And by that point, I sort of went, well, you know what? It's still very nascent. It's, you know, it's still very early stage, but there's something here. You know, there's an opportunity here. So the, the book was really your primary marketing tactic? to say yeah. I exist, uh, here's my research, my knowledge, and to create, uh, I guess, an authority in yeah, the space. Yeah, that's right, um, and definitely. And that's, that's brought customers, but it's also brought staff. Yeah, I think it did. You know, I think from the sense that, it, 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 you know, if you were an, a tutor looking to find work, you know, and you knew that you were able to work with, a, a you know, a business that had done some research and, and written a book and, you know, the, the, the business leader was considered to be an expert, it, it certainly helped, um, particularly when we were so early stage in attracting, in attracting some people to, to work with us, which was great. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, in terms of your family and their business experience, I've been reading about young entrepreneurs and in, in the particular group, there was 11 out of 12 of the people that were interviewed had all had parents that owned businesses. Well, And the assumption was if you have a parent that thinks that way, you think that way, and if you don't, you don't. Would you see in your childhood and in your, you know, in your family that sort of entrepreneurial thinking, out-of-the-box thinking mm. was accepted and embraced yeah definitely i mean my father has run businesses at different points as long as i can remember an uncle on my, my mother's side you know successful entrepreneur on a number of businesses as well so i think i had role models at least not you know and it wasn't that they ever explicitly talked no, to me about no that's what's interesting i think mm. yeah it was never where it was like oh hey you know here's what we're doing and this is it was just i could see it you know you, I could you almost see... marinate in the in the culture, don't you? I think so. That's right. And so it meant that starting your own thing was a viable alternative. And if I'm hearing you correctly, your parents didn't fund your business. They didn't launch you. Well, short of, you know, being kind to, you know, pay for food while yeah, I was living, living at home. home. And living in the home. Yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, you know, that goes a long way, right? In yeah. terms of, you know, that gave me, and I, I can't thank them enough for that, you know, really, it gave me two years where I didn't have to worry about a, a roof over my head and food, um, yep. which, you know, makes a huge difference. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Not starving is helpful for your business progress. But I think it also means you can, you can focus on something full-time. You know, I think for a lot of people that don't have uh, that opportunity to, to have that family support, or at least to that extent, you're working somewhere else and you've got a side hustle. You know, yeah. and you're trying to make the side hustle work and get it to the tipping point where you can sort of turn, you know, one thing off. You know, that's a viable pathway, but I think it's challenging. 
And so I'm certainly very grateful that I had the opportunity to, to be able to just do it, you know, and not have to worry about that. The other thing is that in today's economy, there's so much change technology-wise, and there's always the talk that people are studying for jobs that won't exist by the time they get there. So being entrepreneurial or being agile uh, is a pretty useful skill. And uh, yeah, but having that pathway to say, hey, I can go and create something based on an opportunity I see. Mm. Definitely. Well, I think I think employers in many cases are really looking for people that have entrepreneurial skill sets. I mean, I think a lot of you know what it means to, to run a business is you know being a, a you know a good project manager, being able to you know lead and manage people, being able to problem solve. Um, you know, often high levels of innovation and creativity. Um, you know, I think all of those are really powerful skill sets where. You know, you can take them into a business um, as well. So one of the things that we see is definitely, uh, you know, this idea that starting a business is what we call an asymmetric bet. You know, in the sense that it's it's a win-win if you're a young person because if you create it, you're going to develop a whole lot of really incredible skills that actually increase your employability. Uh, You know, a good example of it is the ability to present and speak in front of groups of people has almost a nine thousand dollars salary premium. Um, and if you run your own business, one of the first things you learn to do is to pitch. Yeah. You know, you have to, you're selling yourself, you're pitch selling your die. business. <laughs> Precisely, right? So it really forces you to develop these skills that are um, in demand and also are, are rewarded in terms of salary premium. And so if you start the business and it doesn't work out, right, it fails. I think the costs these days of starting businesses are a lot lower. Unless, yeah. you know, you're doing a restaurant and you've got a full fit out and there's all sorts of costs. Right. Most businesses, you know... Uh, you can start very, very cost effectively. So I think the, you know, the, the sort of downside increasingly gets a lot smaller from a financial risk point of view. Yeah. Um, and then the career risk is, I actually think incredibly low and if not a, a positive because even if it doesn't work, all of a sudden you're able to go to an employer and, and, and have a whole lot of really marketable skill sets yeah. and also like project and real world experience that you yeah. can highlight to them that's often a lot more advanced because you've had to just do yeah. everything. Look, we love hiring people that have had their own business. Yeah. <laughs> they think differently. They're they're multi multi-skilled. Yeah. yeah definitely. They're great to have. All right. We're 11 years on. Mm. Um, are your dreams and motivations different now? Definitely. Yeah. So I um I actually started the business, you know, 11 years ago, um, but didn't work full-time in, in it until 20 end of 2017. Okay. So, you know, I'd started it at the final year of university and then basically straight after university decided that, you know, I thought I was Elon Musk and I could run multiple businesses at the same time. <laughs> Lesson learned, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> um, definitely, you know, some humble pie along the way. Um, but, you know, started another business. Again, very passionate about education, very passionate about wanting to make a difference for young people. Um, started a trip advisor for universities, so we aggregated tens of thousands of reviews from students all around Australia across different degrees, different universities. So if you were thinking about making a choice to go to university, you could actually get, instead of the, you know, the lovely branded marketing from the university, right. you could get student People's experience. opinions, yeah. That's right. So I sort of jumped into that. And in hindsight, a lot of that was because even though I did have the, the, the courage at the time to not pursue law as a career, I did really have quite a chip on my shoulder. And I didn't recognise it at the time. 
um, about not pursuing the law degree. You know, like there was a prestige that had come with it. You know, when all of your peers are now working in corporate and, and you know, uh, sharing all these stories about life in corporate and the perks and the benefits, um, it does have an impact and it's certainly, I didn't appreciate it, but um, there had been a bit of a chip on my shoulder around, yeah. hey, like, I'm not doing something that's cool enough. Yeah. You know, and so it sort of prompted me. I didn't realize it, but um, really drove me to, to go, well, what else can I do here that's going to be more um, significant, bring more status? And so I was like, oh, I'll do a tech startup, you know, like yeah. <laughs> that's the way to go about it. Um, and look, you know, great experience. I'm very grateful for it. I was very fortunate that 18 months after sort of starting that, 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 that platform, that business was acquired. So I got incredibly lucky. There was no revenue, <laughs> so right. I, didn't, I didn't have a pathway to even work out how we, we would turn it into a, you know, like a, a profitable business. Um, so I was very, very lucky. But um, it is that still going? That's so no, unfortunately, the, the business that acquired it were they were working as part of like with Career One, taking on Seek in sort of, you know, linking education to career. Uh, I don't think they ended up being able to take it to where they wanted to, okay. at least from what I've observed. But that was both like a, a, a blessing and a curse, that whole experience um, for me personally, because um, I think I had decided I wanted to do something, you know, that would have more significance, whatever that means. Um, and then 18 months in, had built and sold a business all at a very young age. And so, you oh, know, okay. really, I think the bad thing was just where it went for my ego. Um, okay. I think alongside all of this, what I had done well at least, and I'm so grateful for that, is I'd put a team in place at Art of Smart who had continued to run the business right. um, in those early stages. And I'd sort of read E-Myth, you yep. know, loved it, put in the systems. Um, <laughs> and to be really honest, found a couple of incredible people who are still with the business to yep. this day that um, really, I think, became really fantastic custodians of it while I was distracted doing these other things and chasing things that at the time were, you know, going to, I think, satisfy some emotional need that I, I hadn't yet recognised. Um, so the reason I say this in answer to your question is that, um, yes, by all means, how I view what I do today now has changed quite a lot. <laughs> it's changed because you've gone on a few tangents. That's right. When I speak with small and medium business owners, I generally find that they don't really know what their competitors are up to. I wonder if you've ever taken the time to analyse the competitive landscape of your industry. When we do this for clients, we typically find either there's a hero out there, somebody who has taken the time to craft their message, think through their overall strategy, and is executing it awesomely, and they are probably dominating your market. The second thing we find is that nobody's really picked up the act. That gives you a real opportunity to be the hero straight up. You're probably in one of those places where you can look at that hero and take some ideas from what they're doing. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Or alternatively, you can get out there ahead of the pack. This is just one of the ideas we talk about in our digital marketing playbook. If you feel that this would be helpful for your business, please feel free to book a quick chat at theonlineco.net. There was another startup, wasn't there? Yeah, that's right. So then after that success, it was like, great, like, I know what I'm doing. 
didn't know what I was doing <laughs> uh, at all, but thought I did. And so, um, again, passionate about education, passionate about technology, um, started another business in the sector. You know, we'd seen um, a product in the United States called the Khan Academy. It was free video yes. tutorials yep. uh, online, gamified. We saw that and thought, you know what, great. Why don't we bring that to Australia? put it in a game-based environment, but put a monthly subscription on top of it. So put a paywall on top and charge people for it. Incredibly cheap compared to the alternative of, you know, getting tutoring, you know, you're accessing videos from amazing educators at low cost. Um, so we built all that out very quickly, launched it, very quickly found, uh, you know, within sort of nine months, probably six or seven other competitors in the market. You know, the right. barrier to entry wasn't significantly high. You know, content and video was, you know, starting to get cheaper with the YouTube yeah. generation to create. And so we looked at that and then went, oh, you know what? We're going to be playing a race to the bottom on margins. Okay, on price, um, yeah. yeah, on price. We have a technical team. Let's pivot around the underlying platform that we've built. Because um, we were the only team out of all of the competitors that, that you know, hadn't outsourced something overseas. Like, we'd brought in team, yeah. part of our team. And so we ended up building a, basically a teaching and learning platform for schools that would help teachers remove a one-size-fits-all classroom. So to enable them to really simply just drag and drop, create an individual playlist of learning. So if students had particular needs, they could okay. start to better meet those needs. And that, that was a six-year journey. It was a challenging journey without a doubt. Um, none of us in our initial founding team were teachers. We knew education well, but not um, not as well as we thought. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, again, I think we came in with this sort of vision that we had the solution, we could solve it because we would bring the best from tech and design and business and, and build something. And by all means, we brought a lot of that, but I think where we struggled for a number of years was just truly understanding the complexity of the challenge that we were trying to solve. Um, you know, fortunately, what that experience gave me, though, was an ability to go around schools all around Australia you know, some of the most innovative schools spend so much time with all these incredible, you know, educators and principals and leaders in the sector. And I think what I was really grateful eventually through that experience was it really sparked in me like a bigger sense of what our mission should be at Art of Smart and what I felt we really needed to be doing. And so in the end, what happened was I actually stepped down as CEO of that, that organization. It was a 12 month sort of process. Myself and my co-founder sold most of our stake in the business that was then later on acquired by um, one of the larger education technology companies in Australia. But so that I could come back into Art of Smart um, because I'd really felt this strong vision for what we needed to do and the difference we needed to make really sort of went back to the sort of core of why I'd started the thing. Why I'd started the thing was ultimately about service. It wasn't about me, you know, it was about helping other people. And along the way, I'd lost some of that, not necessarily for Art of Smart, but in chasing some of these, these other things that I was doing. Um, and so a lot of it was really about recognising like, hey, there's a, there's a real problem here. You know, we have a million young Australians that graduate high school every four years, but one in three university graduates um, you know, struggle to find a full-time job. One in three young people are underemployed or unemployed. You know, it takes almost 4.7 years for a, a person who has a university degree in Australia to get a full-time job. Right. You know, and that's scary because on the face of it, we're sort of told as a society, hey, the pathway to long-term success and security is get good grades at school, Get a degree. Go to university, get a job. <laughs> and I saw that and went, whoa, wait a minute. You know, like that's no longer this slam dunk pathway anymore. Um, 
you know, we're going to have some problems here. We're going to have some problems as a country if we keep on just encouraging young people to pursue that pathway and they keep making the same sort of decisions about the degrees that they pursue at university. Because what we're going to end up with is we're going to end up with a generation of young people that are unemployed or underemployed. Um, and this is all pre-COVID data. COVID has just exacerbated this yeah. even more for young people. And then that has huge impacts on mental health. Um, it has huge impacts on long-term wealth creation because of the compounding effect. You yes. know, if you can't get a job, a full-time job, you're less likely to contribute to super, you're less likely to be able to afford some form of property in Australia. Yeah. Um, and that has just longer-term consequences. And so I really saw a lot of that and went, wow, you know, like we need to start having the conversation first of all, that this is happening. Um, and two, well, where do we think and where do I think we can make the biggest difference and, and where do my skill sets serve the most? And I really felt, well, look, you know, those final years of high school particularly um, are really the point where you're making the decision about maybe what you do. And once you make that decision, the inertia hits. So, you know, if you make a decision, let's say it's to do a law degree, we have at the moment, you know, more than 50,000 students studying law degrees in Australia. We've got maybe 67,000 practicing solicitors. We've got this incredible oversupply of law school graduates based on the opportunities that are available. So why do young people take it? Well, because they think it's prestigious. They think it's got great career prospects. They think it's a slam dunk. None of that's necessarily true. So if we can help young people make better decisions when they're making that journey through late high school transitional life after, they're not gonna be stuck in that inertia of doing the law degree, right? Feeling like they have to pursue that pathway, struggling with what that journey looks like. Yeah, spending 4.7 years getting a job. That's right. So for us, it was, you know what, that's the critical point. Like, yes, you know, you can do stuff later on that's also helpful. You know, you can do retraining and micro-credentialing and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff at university, leadership programs, they're all great. But actually, where we can have the biggest impact is in that sort of decision point, that critical yeah, like point. Prevention's the best cure. That's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I, I'm hearing that when you're at uni, you saw a piece of this, maybe. Definitely. Yes. Um, not what you see today. I mean, it was different time in one sense. Uh, and then you got it started. It's up. It's working. And then it's like some distractions hit. And you talk about your ego, and and, yep. and it's very. Um, it's very uh, transparent of you to talk about that. And it took you off on some other paths. Mm -hmm. And your ego is one of these things. Um, it's a blind spot, I think. Mm, definitely. Generally, you don't know that you don't know it's an issue. That's right. Until it smashes you in the head. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. So, um, and in a, in a sense, it's almost like you have to... Uh, grind your ego out with a bit of with a bit of mess in order to uh, acknowledge and recognize it's there to almost come back to full circle yeah that's right yeah so are you are you half grateful half ungrateful for those experiences in terms of saying well if i didn't have them i'd probably still be uh you know thinking i was elon musk but if i didn't have them uh, i wouldn't be where i yeah am today it's definitely something i've reflected on quite a bit <laughs> I think what's interesting is that looking back, um, you know, one of the things that I sort of uh, I sort of was sharing with my wife at the time when I came back into full time to lead Art of Smart, um, you know, with our renewed sort of mission and purpose, I said, you know what, I felt like I've just got my mojo back um, because there'd been a, a period of time where, you know, I, I really felt quite lost and realizing that 
that you know it wasn't necessarily the, the pathway for me in the prior business and the reason I share that is because I actually think I'd found that at least the courage to sit and listen to my heart when I was in you know university in those final years and then you're right I got lost along the way and so part of me is definitely like well if only I'd stay true to that how much more would we have achieved uh, in terms of okay. the impact we could have had and, and that's yes. definitely the the, the pain, you know, is looking back and going, well, if I'd stayed true to that, what could we have done differently, you know? But at the same time, I learned so many skills. That's right. Um, and I think as a result, I'm a much better leader, um, you know, today than I would have been um, because of those challenges and experiences that happened. You know, I have a much better insight into the challenge and um, what we're needing to do. So... Yeah, it's, it's sort of this bittersweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you yeah, know. I, no, I totally get that. I, I have some years where I've uh, wandered off what I potentially should have been doing and um, look back and and I'm grateful for the learnings yeah. and sort of uh, a bit nostalgic about what could have been. That's right. I think most of all, I'm just grateful that, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've sort of found it again, you know, in yeah. terms of like found like great, like this is who I am. And look, a lot of it was just, I think, being confident and being okay with who I am as a person and just recognizing that, you know, yeah. and being like, okay, like I, I don't need to do something necessarily to impress other people because it sounds good. It needs to be prestigious. Like actually, you know, what, what do I find meaningful and purposeful? What gives me fulfillment? You know, let's focus on that. Yeah. So, so most of the people that listen to this podcast are small and medium business owners. Uh, so they're probably mostly parents of children of all sorts of ages. Uh, what advice would you give them in terms of guiding their children in tertiary education or not? Mm. Or, and, and how does Zata Smart, how's Zata Smart working towards resolving that issue? Mm. Massive issue. But yeah. <laughs> so two questions there. I'd, I'd answer perhaps the first one first in terms of some, some suggestions for parents. Yeah. One of the things that an analogy we often share with students is because uh, often they'll think about maybe buying a car you know when they're 16 17 yeah. and we'll sort of say to them look would you just jump online and take a look at a car and then make a purchase decision and they're like no it's like, oh cool what would you do he's like oh well you know I'd, I'd probably do a whole lot of research and i'd like compare it to other sort of models and makes and and i'd probably go and do some test drives and like see how it feels and then i then i'd make a purchase decision it's like cool okay um but then if we sort of compare how we make a decision often about what we do after school whether or not that is university or tafe or some other option yeah more often than not we do no test driving whatsoever you know we literally just go oh yup sounds good law sounds good or engineering sounds good or accounting sounds good maybe because a parent's done it or i've seen it on tv pop culture is often the driver of decision making and then they make a choice to go study the degree and you know they do three years to commit to this degree and this career and they haven't exposed to what it might actually look like they haven't test driven it and so one of the simplest things we really try to encourage students to do is to you know, apply the same due diligence that they would if they were buying a car yeah. to thinking about their career. So for parents, it would really be, I think, to support and encourage their teenagers in particular if they're interested in maybe doing some marketing, it'd be cool, or maybe you know, engineering would be interesting to, to take it from just like, oh, yeah, it's interesting and I'm now going to put it as my UAT preference 
to going, how do I take the next step to exploring what it really looks like? Whether or not that's interviewing a couple of people, you know, yeah, um, who, who work in, who the work in it. Yeah. And most people are so incredibly generous oh, with yeah. their time. Whether or not it's doing a little bit of work experience over a summer holiday, you know, two or three days in to get a bit of a feel. It's just how can you road test and sample it a little bit? before you make that sort of decision. Um, in terms of how we support students and families go through this journey, one, we run a, a program called our Pathfinder program, essentially works with students to do a couple of things. Um, one, help them think through what are the career pathways that might be a good fit for them? How is the world of work changing and how should they therefore think about pursuing their career? it's not this linear framework anymore some already have a sense of what they want to do and they've you know they've done some road testing and they've got a flavor um, and so then what we support um, students do is get there so step one is where do you want to go let's help you get clarity on that yeah. and then what's the steps we need to basically reverse plan yeah so that you will maximize the opportunities of making that a reality and so in some cases that may be a whole lot of early entry, scholarship, cadetship sort of application support yep. so that they can get those opportunities for university. Um, often it's a whole lot of mentoring around study and exam skills because often what students struggle with is like the how and managing the well-being component and staying healthy to actually do their best across the journey. And then the final component is, well, you know, rubber hits the road. Is there any academic requirements that you need to meet? You know, so let's say you want to do an engineering degree. Well, you're probably going to need physics. Yep. Um, so, okay, if you're needing to do physics, how are you going at it right now? Oh, not so good. All right, let's put in place some tutoring so that we can help you academically make sure you're meeting the minimum standard so that you're getting into that, you know, that whatever that pathway is. So there's, you know, a whole bunch of sort of career mentoring that we do with students. There's a whole lot of uh, sort of study exam and well-being mentoring that we do. Uh, there's university and, and sort of uh, alternate pathway planning to make a career a reality and then there's a whole lot of academic tutoring support to actually meet minimum criteria you know minimum criteria and standards that, that students and families might need so that's what we do yeah awesome it's wonderful i have kids myself so i'm listening intently <laughs> in terms of growth you've grown a lot over the last 10 years and marketing's a key part of that and i know that creating a lot of content is mm. part of that can you talk us through your content marketing strategy yeah, sure. So we um, probably ooh, four or so years ago really started that journey. We were really responding to sort of student needs, you know, and our market needs. You know, we, we are having students asking all of these questions and, and having all of these challenges. And we thought, well, hey, why don't we write some articles that might support students with these challenges? And in doing so, hopefully they start to trust us more. You know, yeah. they get to know us a little bit more and when they need help, they get in touch with us. Yes. Um, and that's really where it began. And that was in some sense really, you know, uh, I guess a, a callback to how we launched the business, you know, off the back of a book that was providing value and tips and support. So we started that, we brought together a team of writers uh, who were our, our, actually some of our tutors. So they understood the challenges that students were experiencing, that, that experienced them themselves yeah. in most cases, and started writing some articles. And within six months, we had seen just a significant uplift in the number of people that were visiting our website. And we, we got lucky, like we didn't really understand SEO. <laughs> we were just writing good content that we knew solved problems our audience had. Can I just stop you there? 
That is SEO, and if you had gone and understood it, I'm um, inverted commas, you probably would have started doing a whole bunch of bodgy things that don't work. Probably. But the core of SEO is, how can I help people with some great content? How can I give the best information on the internet for this particular topic? Yep. If you do that, Google generally figures it out. Yeah, which is yeah. what happened for us, yeah, right? Yeah, right, well, well done. So <laughs> definitely, you know, we went from, I would say, um, over the last four or five years from probably less than a thousand people visiting our website, uh, you know, a month to now we, we get over a million visitors a year. Um, you know, so it's been quite a journey over a relatively short period of time. Mm. But a lot of that was, yes, you know, just driven by understanding our audience, understanding their pain points and helping them with it. Yeah. Um, now, of course, over time, we've got a little better at realizing, oh, maybe there's some keyword data here yeah, that we yeah, should think absolutely. about. <laughs> yeah. But definitely where it started was, was that. And so now we have, you know, a number of people in a content team. But that's been really critical just in really building brand awareness of who we are, yeah. how we can support students. Um, and then in turn, over time, um, because they're accessing our content, we've seen, you know, that flow on effect just in inquiries. Yeah. So being helpful is a wonderful marketing tactic because you can help a thousand people and maybe a handful of them will do business with you but then you might have helped 990 of them for free you know and and that's wonderful and uh, it generally pays you back so what's next where's Art of Smart headed yeah good question so look for us coming back into the business in in 2017 full-time for me was really um, uh, one exciting but also with a vision to, to really grow the impact we could have uh, you know, so um, for us, that has meant, okay, you know, uh, uh, opening multiple campuses. While we do online support and we do at home across New South Wales, one of the things that we know is that, um, you know, people really love coming into a space and having a sense of community and support. Yep. That's really important. Um, while we also then continue to just scale up, um, you know, our one-to-one and online support um, at a national level. So, you know, our journey at the moment now is really take what we do interstate and then grow campuses alongside that so that way if someone comes to us we could help them online we could help them in their own home um, or if they're near a local campus they can come in and work with us in person and you know our hope is then to be able to do that over time nationally awesome well thank you so much for telling us your story and uh your vulnerability and all the insights you've given us into your business no thanks worries. for coming on the podcast thanks james it was great to be able to share it That was Rowan Kunz, and you can find out more about his student coaching business at artofsmart.com.au. So Jess, tell me about how he's identified his customer's problem and how he goes about resolving that. Yeah, well, look, on, on his website, the main thing that he's got, he's got this big clarity statement. What am I going to do with my life when I finish school and how do I get there? So this is the question, this is the problem that yeah. his, his clients have. He's putting have. his yeah. finger on the question That's every it. child's it, asking. He's just put it straight out there. And so by identifying that one problem, what he's doing is he's using that as the cornerstone for all of his marketing. So all of his blogs, all of his articles, his videos, his social media posts, every, every piece his of content that action. he puts out, yeah. his calls to action, everything he puts out there is pointing to that problem. So... Whatever touch point that somebody will come in, in contact with Art of Smarter with his business, they know that they're in the right place because their problem is being identified. And yeah. I, I suppose and I've just touched on a, a point there, content marketing. In your interview, you spoke. Rowan spoke a lot about content marketing. I'd really like to get 
your insights and, and thoughts on content marketing? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the first thing is this whole people first thing that we talk about every week yeah. is that he is trying to help his customers. He's trying to be genuinely helpful. Yeah. Not just giving them content so he can get sales. He's, he's trying to be helpful first. And it comes back to he's identified the problem. So then he's writing blogs and recording videos and providing content on his website that addresses that problem. Mm. And and he says in there, oh, you know, if I'd have known SEO, I might have done it differently. Um, I'm pretty stoked that he didn't know it, SEO in a yeah, sense. I'm because glad he didn't. It, yeah, it means he's gotten he's gotten the first thing first, helping people. Yeah. Now we don't throw the SEO out because what he then needs to do is essentially optimize all of the all of that content. So if there's a blog article, there's a few things he can do. He can identify the core keyword mm. and just make sure he's optimized the meta title and a few things like that so that he ranks for that keyword and Google knows what that that article's about. But also people are typing questions into Google all the time and it comes up with a featured snippet and it actually at the top of the results, you've you've probably seen it. It answers the question yep. in the search yeah. results. So with a little bit of um, code, you can tell Google to feature that. Uh, then you, you get a whole stack of traffic off the back of that as well. So the stats really bear it out that the amount of traffic to his website has massively increased. Yeah. So by putting people first and then doing the techie optimization, uh, he's really had a it has it's worked in his favour, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just being authentic and genuine in, in the content that he's putting out has, has really given him those good results. Absolutely. In our next episode, you'll meet a woman who took a long and colourful path into business, Annika Sagi. She started her career running video game arcades, then took what she'd learned about managing teams and visual merchandising into the world of yoga. She now runs four yoga studios under the name Nin Yoga, as well as a studio teaching circus arts. She's got an amazing vision for her business, a great ability to execute what she imagines, and what's more, she's great fun. This episode of Getting to the Heart of Business was brought to you by The Online Co. Produced by Claire Bruce, music by Harry Parnwell. You can find us at theonlineco.net. If you've been listening to this and you can think of someone that you think would be really helped by it, why don't you share it with them right now? We'd love you to subscribe, leave us a review, and come along and say hello in our Facebook group. 